Hi there. Thanks for downloading and listening to the 4 Million Years Later podcast. This is a show where two old friends get together and watch an episode of the Transformers Generation 1 cartoon in story order, then convene to talk about what they saw. Lifelong fans of the show fell in love with it as children. Now, as not-so-young people, we are going through episode by episode and cataloging how we feel about this series. My name is Jersey Joe. I'm a cartoonist and teaching artist. The other host is named Hoover. Hey, Hoover. It's nice to be doing a podcast again. We're podcasting again, just like we did last time. <laughs> and it never ends. Actually, it will come to an end eventually because we're on episode 79 of, what, 98? Mm-hmm. Well, the count's a little off because we got some episodes in between. No, that's right. We're You're actually doing this right because when we do those little interlude episodes, you give it like a 65.1 mm-hmm. numbering. Yep. So This is the aha. 79th episode of Transformers we've covered. Wow. And this one... I know the people who downloaded it or subscribed in their podcatcher, thank you for subscribing. Wish everybody would. They know what episode we're about to talk about. And I'm sure they're feeling the same excitement that we're feeling getting to take a deep dive into this one. What episode are we talking about, Hoover? This episode is Starscream's Ghost. Mm. We're just putting it out on Front Street. It's obvious what this one's (laughs) going to be about. There's no... Hmm, that's an interesting title. There's no, like, analogies to the Bible, like Thief in the Night. It's, it's just Starscream's Ghost. Right, right. Well, it, it, what's also great is everybody, spoilers, Starscream's Ghost is in this episode. It's not, like, figurative. It's not, like... <laughs> what if some he wasn't? New... <laughs> well, I'm just saying, it could have been, like, an episode where there's, like, a cult of Decepticons on Cybertron who worship Starscream, right? <laughs> and it's, like, the ghost of Starscream, like, you know casts a shadow over the Decepticon army because there's this new uprising. And Starscream has nothing to do with it. He's long dead. But no, his ghost actually appears just like Booberry in this one. Spoiler and we're gonna alert. Hear, <laughs> and we're going to hear Chris Lada again. Very exciting. But yeah, I, 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 another spoiler. We're going to have a lot to say about this one. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll agree with me. It's a really good episode, not just because Starscream's in it. It feels like right. this one is, we've been on a run of kind of like, eh, to ugh episodes. Mm-hmm. Fight or flee, I'm still, you know, I, I'm still kind of getting over the hangover of being really mad at Rodimus. <laughs> and so to like land on this, was just like, oh, that's right. I love this show. <laughs> <laughs> and it's nice to love it again and not have to make excuses for it. <laughs> well, at the time, people were just bigoted. That's all. No, we don't have to say anything like that now. We can say, though, this is actually like a well constructed, solid episode with some flaws. But I think the, the pros outweigh the cons. Who wrote mm-hmm. this one? It must be somebody who has had a ton of experience in this series. <laughs> well, weirdly enough, this one is by uh, McGean McLaughlin, who is not only new to Transformers, but apparently new to everything. Because according to IMDb, this was her first writing credit. No way. She would later go on to write for the Police Academy animated series, one episode of the Deke G.I. Joe cartoon, a couple Smurfs episodes, eight episodes of the 90s Spider-Man cartoon, three episodes of the 90s Hulk cartoon, and some Clifford the Big Red Dog. So she wrote a lot of animation, but according to IMDb, this was the first. Wow, what a debut. Mm Mm-hmm. So we'll talk a lot about that later because I have questions. All right. So, but for those who haven't watched this in a long time, where can they go to get 
refresh their memory of how awesome this episode is. You can go to the Hasbro Pulse channel on YouTube, or if you'd like to go to Tubi.tv, it's Season 3, Episode 9. Mm. Season 3, Episode 9 on Tubi.tv, everybody. Pause the podcast. Go watch it. And see if you, like, take some notes. Take some notes on your <laughs> observations, and then listen to our, our take on it. And then meet us over on Facebook, where we can all talk about, like, the things that we liked, we didn't like, things that we thought were weird, that weren't so weird, you know, how how well constructed this one is in terms of act breaks. Oh, it's just so good. I'm so excited. I guess I should curb my enthusiasm by reading the IMDb log line, which is actually a log line this time instead of a paragraph. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> and once again, everybody, for those who are new to the show, I never read these ahead of time. Whoever puts them in the notes, and then I read them for the first time to see if I get caught on any of the gr- grammatical anomalies that can show up when things are crowdsourced on the internet. Here we go. <clears throat> After being exiled from the Decepticons, Octane has become a smuggler. While being hunted by the sweeps, he inadvertently awakens the quote-unquote ghost of Starscream, who possesses Cyclonus and starts plotting his revenge. Why is ghosts in quotes? (laughs) I don't know. Sounds like someone who doesn't believe in ghosts wrote that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They're skeptical. Apparently there's a ghost of Starscream. Yes, yeah, it's a scene of Octane with like green goggles and a flashlight knocking on the wall and looking at dust particles saying, is anybody there? Is anybody there? That's a Ghost Hunters reference, everybody. Okay, so let's, let's dive into the episode, Hoover. Where do we begin? Well, as we open, we see the word Starscream's ghost appear on our screens, <laughs> and simultaneously thousands of little children erupt into what? As they all decide to not change the channel for the next few minutes. But beneath those letters, we see the planet of junk and a handful of junkions working some kind of conveyor belt assembly line or disassembly line or something. But then who walks up but Octane, star of last episode? He tells the junkions not to make the load too heavy, as last time he could barely get to Cybertron. And we see the conveyor belt is sending pieces of junk into some kind of shuttle, so right off the bat, things are odd. Octane's hanging out on junk, and he's going to fly a shuttle to Cybertron where Autobots live. But no time for answers just yet, as we're switching perspective. We transition to... somewhere, where one of those skuxoid creatures is standing in front of a throne, an empty throne, (laughs) cowering. And we hear the voice of Galvatron, who we then see as we switch to a close-up. I want you to seek the traitor, Octane. Stalk him and destroy him. I hate liars and double dealers. His brutal end shall serve as an example to all Decepticons of what will happen if they cross me. So this is an ACOM episode, and since ACOM got an ACOM, they seem to have forgotten to place the cell of Galvatron over the cell of the throne. So you had the <laughs> Skuxoid cowering to no one. ACOM gonna ACOM. They do indeed. And at the moment I saw this scene, I was reminded of a running gag on MST3K where whenever like a, a film is poorly shot and somebody's talking <laughs> off screen, one of the people watching the film goes, who's talking? <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I heard in my head when I saw the scene of the Skuxoid alien cowering to an empty throne. But yeah. <laughs> so last time, Galvatron seemed to have forgiven Octane for mutiny and taking Trypticon with him when he was getting some super energon out of the deal. 
But now that the Autobots busted up that little plan, it seems that Galvatron is mad at Octane again. And you know what? That checks out, given Galvatron's mood swings. So as we hear this rant from Galvatron, we see this Skuxoid take off in a ship and arrive at Junk and start creeping around. We see him messing with a device of some kind, and we hear wind-up and ticking noises that make us think, hmm, this is a bomb. The Skuxoid puts the device on the conveyor belt, and it is dropped into the ship with all the other pieces of Junk. Yeah, it's it's a good idea to do a quick little back 10 on your podcatcher to listen to that bit that Galvatron was saying a moment ago. Because while he's doing that speech, as Hoover just described, we see Galvatron saying it, and then it cuts to the Skuxoid actually acting out the plan before Galvatron's speech is over. Mm-hmm. As if to like speed things up. We'll fast forward by, yes, here he is ranting, and here's the Skuxoid actually going off on the mission to kill Octane for Galvatron. It's not animated great. Nothing in this episode is. But... That is structurally a really nice piece of efficient storytelling. Mm-hmm. I don't think I was confused when I saw this as a kid. Right. But it, it gets things moving. So we don't have to do a you know an Autobot Decepticon emblem scene change to see <laughs> the Skuxoid on the planet of junk. He's we, we see him get there, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's nice. Let's give him a high five whenever we can. <laughs> Octane tells the Junkion that that's enough and to stop loading the shuttle. The Junkion gives him what sounds like a sarcastic goodbye, and Octane retorts, <laughs> I'd probably be a jerk, too, if I was made of junk. Now, did you did you take that Junkion's remark as sarcastic? I always thought it was, he was just being saccharinely kind, and that's why Octane's telling him he's a jerk. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that the Junkion is intentionally being sarcastic, but I think his way of quoting the commercial yeah. just sort of can come off as sarcastic. But it sounds very sweet, like, oh, have a wonderful day, Octane. It's like that kind of tone. And then, yes, and I remember as a kid thinking it was really funny that Octane is a guy who just, when he's met with kindness, like, calls it out as being like, oh, yeah, you're a jerk. Not like a jerk like you're a mean jerk. You're a jerk like you're an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) So, once again, Octane feels like a breath of fresh air compared to what we've gotten in terms of Decepticon traders. We had Starscream, Mm -hmm. who was capable. But then we had Blitzwing and Astrotrain, who are not, let's say it, they were dum-dums when, mm-hmm. they, when, they, when they turned on Megatron. We haven't had, and that we had the Combaticons who were pretty good. They were effective and, you know, uh, cruel and calculating in their way. But now we got a guy who's like, a guy you'd work at Burger King with, who's like a Decepticon <laughs> trainer, right? <laughs> yes. So it just, it feels really fresh. It, and I remember feeling kind of excited about this character. And, and this is before I saw the toy, everybody. So I still had room to be excited about it, the character. <laughs> Octane then enters the large shuttle and it takes off. We see him sitting at the controls, adjusting switches and hitting buttons until he has everything just right. But we see that these adjustments are not to plot a course for the ship or to alter his flight path. He's bringing up an image of a girl robot on screen, one looking a lot like RC. Well, a, a lot like RC who had cosmetic surgery done to amplify certain parts of her body. Let's not, let's not, let's not skip that part. <laughs> and I'm asking myself why they put this in. Are they just trying to convey that Octane is skeevy? Or is this just a case of the writers, once again, just slipping in adult humor wherever they can? Did you have any thoughts on that? I actually have an observation on that because there's several moments in this episode where I feel like the writers are dropping in stuff just for grownups to get, which mm-hmm. I'm I'm of mixed mind on. 
I think I've gone on the record to say that I traditionally or typically I don't like it because I don't like things that are meant for the adults to chuckle and the kid to be confused about. But in some of the cases of some of the jokes in this episode, I got them years later and it made me appreciate the episode more. Mm. (laughs) But yeah, as a rule, I don't really care for that. But I, I think as a child, I mean, I was 13 at this point. And I was aware that adults had these magazines that had pictures of ladies what had no clothes on. <laughs> and, and, and the way I knew was because kids in my class would break, like sneak them into school and show them to everybody, look at this, you know. So I, I knew what this, was, this scene was about. And I got it like, okay, so the octane is just like, he's like that creepy kid who's always showing me those pictures in his dad's magazine, <laughs> you know. I don't think I got the full joke of it, but I think it's enough that it was part of our... And I, I have to imagine in a modern day in a you know a YouTube slash Pornhub world, this is for better or worse something that a lot of young people are at least dimly aware of. So I don't feel like this qualifies as purely for adults, but it does feel like, ooh, would this have worked on a network cartoon? I don't know. I think it's, it's probably was like something they could put in because it was in syndication, right? Mm, could be. If I had to guess, they're just trying to make Octane more relatable, show that he's not like the serious-minded other Decepticons. Mm. And a show that too often just paints the Decepticons as mean bullies and nothing else, maybe they're trying to tell us every way they can that this is not a typical Decepticon. In fact, Jersey, what it did remind me of is how Giffen and DeMatteis portrayed the Justice League International. Mm. Octane doesn't feel too different from Booster Gold or Guy Gardner here. Mm-hmm. I feel like the writer's saying, look, not all Decepticons are chaotic evil or even lawful evil. Some are just unscrupulous, if I can mix my role-playing game metaphors there. <laughs> and we also have to like bring up the fact that he's basically a truck driver now. Like yeah. he's like apparently he's just like hauling freight. Like they say in the, the IMDB logline he's smuggling. I don't think he's smuggling. I think he's just like shipping freight from Junkie on to Cybertron now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh how the mighty have fallen. He he basically owned Trypticon last episode. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's shipping freight, you know. And and it, it I like how comfortable he is doing it. Well, Got a long trip. Might as well load up some, you know, robo girly magazines <laughs> while I'm on this long trip. So, yeah, I think they're trying to just say, like, he's he's just, just like a regular guy who doesn't necessarily, he's not a charming smuggler like Han Solo or anything. He's just like he's just like a regular guy who just isn't super, like you said, like he's, he's unscrupulous. He's not super ethical. He doesn't mm-hmm. really care. He's just trying to make his, he's trying to make his way in the universe as best he can. And there there is something relatable about that, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Then suddenly the ship begins to shake and then it blows up thanks to the bomb that the Skuxoid planted, sending Octane careening through space, cursing Galvatron's name, knowing he was behind this. We then see another ship happen by and extend out a sort of rope for Octane to grab onto. It pulls him in, and we see inside the ship is full of different aliens and creatures. Yeah, there's a weird like pan here as we look across this room, and there's a whole bunch of like bizarre, I don't want to say Florodary aliens, but they share some DNA with Florodary aliens, right? Mm-hmm. And they're all just like standing around tables with like steaming food in front of them. And they take a full like four seconds to do this pan here. And it's it's the aliens are really wild looking, super bizarre, but I am super here for... <laughs> broadening the Transformers universe more so than like what we did in say the gambler, right? Mm-hmm. Where the, the, okay, this feels like, Oh, we're looking at whole Lord Geikony and the animalians and all that. It's like a whole new piece of the galaxy we never saw before. Now we're seeing like, 
you know, run of the mill, just like work a day Decepticons trying to haul some freight <laughs> and then running in with like some kind of, I would say this, is this some kind of like passenger ship where a bunch of aliens are just sitting around eating? Is that what's going on here? We don't know. It's so strange that like just the idea of that a ship would see another ship explode and then like have a rope to lower. <laughs> And then, like, they pull the person in, and there's just, like, people sitting around eating. It's like, if you want to, there's plenty to question here. Well, it, it feels very Hitchhiker's Guide, actually. Mm. Now that I think about it, I wonder how much of that is influenced by this. Because, like, it, it's a bunch of, like, just, like, un, unimpressed aliens just going about their business. And Octane mm. seems kind of, like, unimpressed, right? Like, his, his reaction when he gets to the ship is not like, whoa! Right. <laughs> <laughs> Even though the ship has just rescued him from a near-death experience, Octane doesn't like the smell inside, and he asks what they've been eating. And an alien at the dining table holds up his bowl and spouts something that Octane seems to take as an offer for food. He retorts, Oh, thanks, gee, no, never mind, I just want to be taken to Autobot City where I'll be safe. So a Decepticon is asking to be taken to Autobot City where he'll be safe. This is a very unusual situation. So we transition to a new scene, and suddenly we see Octane walking with Sandstorm, the new Autobot from Paradron, introduced two episodes ago. Octane's explaining to him, I'm telling you, the Decepticons are after me. I need protection. And then we see Octane so distracted with his paranoia that he literally trips over a rock and falls to the ground. Sandstorm bends over to help pick him up. Whoa, you sure you're fully recovered from the explosion there, Octane, buddy? I heard a noise. I just wasn't watching where I was going. Now let's discuss this scene. This doesn't seem like it takes place five minutes after Octane lands at Autobot City and explains his situation to the Autobots. This seems like Octane and Sandstorm have been hanging out a bit. I mean, unless Sandstorm is being really sarcastic, calling him old buddy the first day meeting him. It really feels more like a few days later, at least, and that they've been hanging out. And here's what I like about that. Sandstorm just got here himself, and now Octane is the new guy, and Sandstorm's been here a good week or two or more, let's say. I don't know if you've been in any situations like this, Jersey, but to me this feels really authentic. In my 12th grade art class, me and one other guy were the odd people out, Everyone else in the class had had the teacher before, and she was trying to make this specific class period a sort of advanced class because everyone already knew the teacher and knew the deal and how she worked. And here were we two yo-yos messing up the plans. So she went as far as having us go to the registrar's office to see if we could move to another period so we wouldn't be here in this class with all the seasoned pros. But it turns out we both couldn't be moved because of how our other classes were, and so we both had to come crawling back to this class where everyone knew one another and we didn't know anyone. So did he and I sit together and have an immediate bond because of this situation we were put in? We sure did. Likewise, Sandstorm gets to this new planet where everyone knows each other. It's run like a well-oiled machine, pun sort of intended. And he has to adjust to this new life, very different than what he was used to on Paradron. And then soon after, this Decepticon shows up and basically begs for clemency and to hang out for a while. And what character is going to want to spend time with the new guy? The other new guy. 
We've already seen Sandstorm's welcoming nature on display, too, so this, to me, makes way more sense than it should, given how these episodes <laughs> were tossed together out of order and without an even overarching through line. So this, to me, has a lot of promise, an ex-Decepticon hanging out with an Autobot. So let's see where this goes. Also, they're both triple changers. They both have a land mode and an air mode. Mm-hmm. So it's like they have something to bond over in that regard as well. And yeah, after you saying this, it just makes me want to do a four-issue miniseries about Sandstorm and Octane's adventures. <laughs> but they go off on a bunch of little side quests. And, right? and, like, and especially because Sandstorm came from this like really principled society where they were like not violent and octane like has no principles whatsoever yeah. you it's almost like got... the odd couple or something mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah they're, they're, i i agree with everything you said and i don't think i picked up on it as a kid i, I think i probably as a 13 year old would have cynically thought about like okay they're showing me the new figures i gotta get mm-hmm. i was in on it you know john stossel it's okay that, that they're trying to sell me toys because i knew i just couldn't get them but I, I dig this dynamic, and I like how, how it does feel unusually thoughtful for what mm-hmm. we've been getting this season. <laughs> but, everybody, before we get too excited with the warm fuzzies about this, <laughs> ACOM's still got an ACOM. So while this whole interchange is happening, the background consistently changes scene to scene. Like, not even scene to scene. I would say shot to shot. Right. It's, they're in the woods. Now they're in outer space. Now they're in the woods again. And then they're in outer space. Where are they? I don't know. It's ACUB. <laughs> well, so Octane thinks he's starting to hear things around him, and his paranoia is telling him that his Decepticon's after him. But Sandstorm just laughs. Oh, Octane, now you're hearing things. Don't worry, it's normal to be a little jittery. Gee, maybe you should head back for more extensive repairs. I'm fine. But you are an older model. You probably should start taking it a little easier. And as the pair get into this argument, we see Combaticons in the bushes. Octane was actually right. There are Decepticons here after him. But Octane doesn't like being called an older model and transforms into his jet mode just to show off how he's still got it. Sandstorm changes to his helicopter mode and follows, leaving the hiding Combaticons without a quarry. The traitor is getting away! Let me go after him! No! Do not expose yourself! There will be other opportunities! So Octane makes it clear that he's the superior one in the sky, but Sandstorm thinks he's the superior one in land mode. So he lands as a helicopter and changes into his dune buggy mode, hauling down the side of a mountain. Octane lands and transforms to his oil truck mode, trying to catch up to his compatriot. Sandstorm makes it clear he's superior on land and starts to rub it in once Octane catches up. But the pair then fired on, causing them to run for cover behind a wall of the city. Sandstorm is surprised that the lasers missed him, but Octane says it's because they're after him, not Sandstorm. So to prove the point, Sandstorm leans out past the wall and waves. No one fires at him. And then Octane leans out to look and they're fired on. They immediately take cover again. No two ways about it. You've got to do something about your popularity. So the animation in this scene, when Sandstorm pokes out and like waves his hand, like, hello, <laughs> and they don't shoot. And then Octane just like pokes his head around and all of a sudden everything explodes around them. <laughs> the animation is not awesome, but the idea is super, super cute. Mm-hmm. And this part is giving me like a vibe from films like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. 
Now, I'm pointing out these references not to denigrate the writing here. I think what's happening is this is a writer who's taking influences from a lot of different places and putting them into a whole new source, not intending to make us go, hey, remember Bush Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? That's great, isn't it? That's not the point. The point is that she's integrating all these influences to create something that feels, for this series, really fresh and new. We're getting a buddy adventure film in the first act called Star Screams Ghost. I still ain't seen no ghosts, Uber. <laughs> this is really, really good. I, I We haven't seen Rodimus, Ultra Magnus, Cup, any of the, you know, the mainstay characters. We're just following these two guys who, for some reason or another, and, and it's easy for us to arrive at how they formed a friendship. You just pointed that out. Mm -hmm. So we don't need to have a lot of backstory. It just makes sense these two are buddies, and now we got them on the run. <laughs> <laughs> and, and with like a lot of that kind of like lighthearted back and forth between the two of them while it's going on. I just wish the animation could live up to what this story is promising. Cause I feel like, you know, and I, I'm probably going to say it multiple times. This is almost like an anti day of the machines where uh. the, the story is just like, Ugh, but the animation is like, wow, this one is like, the story is like terrific. And the animation's like, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> It, the jokes land a little weird because of the way it's animated. And here we also get to another moment where it feels like they're dropping in a lot of references for grown-ups or jokes for grown-ups is that, you know, it's like Octane says to Sandstorm at this point, what do we do now? And Sandstorm says, probably too late to get warranty insurance, which I know that one flew over my head as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I saw EF Hutton commercials and, you know, like Prudential commercials and all that stuff as a kid. I didn't know what they meant. I just knew there was a thing on the TV. So as an adult, I'm like, ah, ha, ha, yeah, that's cute. But, you know, it's one of those things where it's like you have to wonder if the writer was putting that in for their own pleasure, which that's I'm saying this as somebody who makes stories. That's OK. <laughs> you, you can do that as long as the overall thing is good. Well, Sandstorm transforms to helicopter mode and Octane gets in. Let's hear it from mass shifting. As Sandstorm rises into the air, the Compaticons fire on him, but Sandstorm leaves a trail of dust, a sandstorm, if you will, mm. that masks his departure and sends the Compaticons into coughing fits. Octane laughs. <laughs> my dust! Uh, that's my dust! <laughs> we then transition and cut away to an Autobot shuttle flying through space, landing at a fuel dock. Exit Sandstorm and Octane, who are greeted by another Skuxoid alien, or the one from earlier, who knows. He tells them there's a bit of a wait for fuel, but in the meantime, they can eat inside. How's the food here? Yeah, looks like the usual slop, high and static. Stuff always gives me surges. For 20% off, what are a few surges? Righto, let's go. So, even as a child, I loved this line where they're like discussing the, the energon and whether or not it's going to give them different kinds of indigestion. And the fact that they come up with an analog slang for it always gives me surges, right? Like, and mm -hmm. as a kid who grew up in a very Polish family where the, 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 the diet was very Polish, meaning a lot of sausage, a <laughs> lot of sausage, <laughs> you know, gas was constantly being discussed amongst, amongst the adults in my life. <laughs> so like, this is totally the kind of conversation I could have heard like my grandpa and my uncle having for 20% off. What's a few farts what are you gonna do <laughs> so it, it doesn't contribute anything to the story other than to show these two guys are friends but yeah i, I i've always loved the it gives me the surges oh it gives you the wind something terrible you know 
of the pair enter the restaurant, walking by some feuding aliens, and they pay it no mind as they come to an overturned table that they put back and sit down at. Yeah, before anybody gets too excited in the description of this, this is not the Star Wars cantina. (laughs) (laughs) These tables are like giant, just clear metal tables, and there's like nothing on them. People are just like sitting in chairs like 50 to 20 feet apart, just like pointing at each other. (laughs) It's like, okay, yeah, it's it's another ACOM background. It's colorful. It's pretty, but it doesn't feel like any specific place. This could be on Cybertron for all we know. Mm Mm-hmm. They take in the scenery as an alien waitress brings them some Energon to snack on. Now this Energon isn't pink, it's not even glowing. It looks like (laughs) cheese squares. And Octane gobbles them all up, then starts pontificating. You know, sooner or later, they're gonna get me. The Decepticons? Yeah, Galvatron can't afford to let me live. Well that's his tough luck, because I'm gonna keep you around. And as they talk, we see the Skuxoid lurking around, hiding behind a column and pulling a gun. Octane casually juggles as the Skuxoid points his weapon at him from behind to where he can't be seen. And we head to our first commercial break. So we're done with segment one of three segments, and still no sign of Starscream or a ghost. <laughs> this episode is taking a while to get going, but I'm for it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the, the Energon that octane is both eating and juggling i thought they looked more like orange wedges and they're like on toothpicks Mm. or something it's 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 a very strange thing and it confused me as a child still confuses me as an adult like because the the waitress comes over says here's your energon tall dark and metallic which is like okay (laughs) but but yeah they they look like uh, those 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 gummy orange wedges that we used to get as kids Mm. right so, yeah, Octane is like, he's got his back to the camera and he's like juggling them for some reason. We don't really know why. He's just like sitting there talking to Sandstorm. And I guess they're trying to show he's relaxed. He right. is unsuspecting. There's a gun at his back. So, whew, I, yeah, I, I'm all in on this episode so far, Hoover, but I can always take a break to buy things. So, what will we buy in this commercial break? Well, so here we are at break during Starscream's Ghost, and we find we're met with ghostly commercials. Oh. Like this one for Ghost Castle from Milton Bradley. Who's brave enough to play Ghost Castle? The victims journey room by room. They take their chances. Along the way, anything can happen, and usually does. To win, you must reach the coffin and lay the ghost. Will anybody survive Ghost Castle from NB Games? I don't know how you found this game over. <laughs> I have no memory of this game whatsoever. It's got kind of like a mousetrappy thing going on with it. Is that what's going on? It's very busy. There seems to be a lot going on in the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's one of those games where I, I just like the commercial alone makes me feel like, oh, this there's be a half hour of explanation of how to play before exactly. we can actually play. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure some people see commercials for a game like this and go, wow, look at everything that game involves. It looks fun, but I just I just envision like a six-page rule sheet yeah, that you fold yeah. out when you open the box and they go, oh, no. Yeah, the ghosts can pick you up. They can take you over there. You can move over here. You can switch spots over there. A cage falls <laughs> on you here. It's like, whoa, whoa, that's a lot. <laughs> and, and and then there was those weird Ernie and Bert ghosts like watching through the window the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, you didn't sell me on Ghost Castle. Like, I... I yeah. I got it. There's a lot of things that can happen, but there wasn't enough of a, you know, what it didn't have is it didn't have a middle-aged man with a mustache trying to sell me on it, like the pizza party game. Right? <laughs> if you would have had that, 
I would have been in. But so I'll say that's okay. I don't need the ghost castle. What else you got? Well, if we'd rather get some action figures, maybe we can pick up some supernaturals from Tonka. I think some of those are supposed to be ghosts. <laughs> supernaturals. Now you can join the battle between brave Lionheart and the evil Skull and their eerie ghostlings. Lion, you're dying. Now, Matt. They change to fight with ghostly might. Turn them into the light, and they change into even more powerful creatures. Now, the whining is free. It's it. Supernatural. Lionheart, Skull, and Ghostling sold separately. New from Tonka. The best part of this commercial is the end where the kid goes, take this, and you hear the other characters go, ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. He gets cut off way too fast. The kid's supposed to go like, ah, but it's like, ah. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's kind of a hard sell, this idea that their main play feature is that you turn them this way and the face looks like this. You turn them that way and the face looks like that. So, like... You know, you got a hero who turns into a werewolf, which actually is a pretty cool idea. He's like a knight who's a werewolf. Come on. What other property did that kind of twist? And the villain is like some kind of ghoulish ghost who turns into a skeleton dude. <laughs> so if you turn him this way or turn him that way, they don't really turn into it. It's the sticker on the toy that changes. Uh, hologram sticker. So 80s. They were very cool. Uh, you know, I, I had some supernaturals as a kid. I had the little, uh, the little tiny, the short ones that were actually, they were ghosts. So... I, I'm just, I'm so captivated by the idea of Noble Knight Werewolf Hero that I have to get it. So, yes, <laughs> I'll take two. Thank you. Well, as usual, shopping has worked up my appetite. But no need to go off theme, as Count Chocula cereal now has ghost marshmallows. <laughs> it's true! There are ghosts in Count Chocula! And they're here! Oh no! There they go! <laughs> What do we do? Eat them. They're crunchy cereal ghosts. And Pat Chocula is part of this complete breakfast. What about my marshmallows? There's still loads of chocolate and marshmallows. Good. New ghosts are here. In Frankenberry, too. Who cares? New crunchy ghosts in monster cereals. Thank you for tying it together that way for me, Hoover. I, I was going to get really angry. <laughs> <laughs> Vampires aren't ghosts. <laughs> But there's ghost marshmallows, and and the, the cereal was shaped like ghosts, too. I forget what it was shaped like before they became ghosts. Do you remember? No. And, uh, it doesn't matter. But what, what, what bothers me the most about revisiting these monster cereal ads is, like, why do Count Chocula, Booberry, and Frankenberry hate each other so much? <laughs> it is kind <laughs> like, of odd. It's, Whenever it's they really appear like... in each other's commercials, the other, the other one will, like, be shut down by the star of the commercial. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, I get it, like, a lot of the serial commercials of our childhood were, like, involving somehow, like, theft, right? Barney Rubble's trying to steal the Fruity Pebbles, the Cookie Crook's trying to steal the Cookie Crisp, or later on the Cookie Wolf or whatever he is. But, like, the monster serial thing is just like, I hate you. <laughs> get out of here, you. And it's like, I get it in that they're trying to point to, I mean, see, you didn't have siblings, I have, you know, several dozen. And yeah, the, the rivalry is a real thing when, especially when you're fighting over resources because you're living in like a Mad Max lifestyle of so many different kids fighting over the same food. But, but like, I get that, but like, why emphasize it? Why lean into it? Why be like, it's okay to like push your brother out of the room? <laughs> I don't know. The Mr. Rogers in me is not liking this at all. 
So I'm going to say, you know, Kyle Chocula, you're in the penalty box for being rude to your friend. You're all monsters. You should be banding together. You need each other. So that for you, Kyle Chocula, I'll just take my supernaturals and go home. <laughs> well, as we come back, the Skuxoid is lining up his shot when one of the diner patrons bumps into him, causing his gun to fire and miss Octane completely, sending a laser blast into the kitchen knocking over pots of purple stew, coating the customers. Patrons dive out of the way, and one knocks the skuxoid over, causing him to drop his gun. An alien then picks up his gun off the floor and eats it, exhaling smoke <laughs> after he chews it up. This whole scene is so nonsense, but I love it. First of all, once again, the animation is just like getting in the way of us having a good time in this episode. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because like this scene has always puzzled me when the patron gets up and says, waitress, and he knocks the Skuxoid shot so that he misses. It's unclear to me if he's trying to flag down a waitress and hits the Skuxoid's arm, or if he sees the Skuxoid with the gun and is trying to call the waitress and say, hey, there's a guy with a gun in here. Mm. It's, it's, it's never been 100% clear to me, but this whole scene of this bumbling assassin getting run over by people in the restaurant and then that weird green alien picking up the gun and chewing it up and he just like he sort of whispers like a little heavy on the photons if this episode were animated like as season one level this mm -hmm. might be one of the greatest episodes of the series because it, it, we've gone from buddies on the run movie we've got the revenge story with galvatron we've got you know D decepticon warrior who has fallen from grace and now we got all these wild, nutty aliens and all like this kind of like bouncy, rompy, failed assassination attempts. This feels like it's got so many different sources of inspiration. And it's so, like I, I just keep saying, it just feels so fresh compared to everything we've been getting this season. The only complaint is that it's just, it's awkward in how it's animated. But mm -hmm. otherwise, this has been great so far. Yeah. Well, the Skuxard gets frustrated and he runs off as Sandstorm and Octane continue chatting, completely oblivious to what's going on. <laughs> I interfered with Galvatron's orders. I swiped Trypticon and tried to become powerful enough to become the new leader of the Decepticons. He said I'd never be welcome back in the ranks of the Decepticons. Galvatron vowed to get even. The Skuxoid returns, holding a grenade, and is about to throw it at Octane, but a group of patrons walk out of the restaurant past him, knocking him over, causing him to drop the grenade, which rolls outside the restaurant and detonates. <laughs> Even after smoke wafts back into the building, Sandstorm and Octane continue their discussion, remaining completely unaware of the assassination attempt. This whole scene is terrific because it's it's covering ground. It's explaining why Octane's on the run, but in a very entertaining way. Because while the conversation's happening, we're watching this poor little goof trying to fulfill his contract, right? Mm -hmm. And, and it, 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 again, I'm going to point to another thing that the, I feel like this is a, informed by or possibly inspired by is it reminds me a lot of the scene in indiana jones and the temple of doom where indiana jones and short round are playing cards in the jungle meanwhile willie scott's in the background being terrorized by every conceivable kind of animal who's showing up and harassing her and like they're just in the foreground just calmly playing cards right it feels it, it feels just like that if i animated it <laughs> <laughs> Frustrated that all his attempts have been met with failure, the Skuxoid just decides to run up to Octane and jump on his back and beat the hell out of him. <laughs> he screams in frustration. Hey, 
And it's only then that Octane notices the little guy pounding on his back, not much bigger than Octane's head. He grabs him and brings him down to the table. I only want to hear one word from you, the name of the guy who hired you. Galvatron! <laughs> Looks like Galvatron's getting a little hard up for troops. And then just deciding the Skuxoid is beneath them, the pair just up and walk away with Sandstorm reassuring Octane he'll be safe on Cybertron. So, I remember as a child this scene, and the moment I heard him say, I have a wife and kids, I was like, oh... He's not a little creep. He's just guy. He's just guy trying to do his job. <laughs> I instantly like was imagining like a little baby pig alien at home going like, "Oh, mama, I'm so hungry." And then, <laughs> now I feel so bad for this guy. And then the fact that Octane basically ch- puts him in a little chokehold. You hear him do that little ah, Galvatron, you know, and then he throws him <laughs> down the ground. And then even Sandstorm's like, oh, "What a loser!" And they get up and walk away. I'm like, man. I, I didn't really have any strong feelings pro or against this Skuxoid guy. I was enjoying watching him fail, but now I just feel sad. <laughs> it's reminding me a lot of Slizardo in The Gambler, where he was like begging Defcon for, you know, he's like he's pledging his eternal gratitude, and Defcon's like, get away from me. You know, it's like, man, it's like watching people be rough on smaller creatures is not as easy for me to watch nowadays as it was back then. But even then, like I said, like when I was a kid, I remember feeling really bad for that little guy. So then we cut away and we see a ship flying towards Cybertron. Cyclonus, Scourge, and Three Sweeps follow it in, planning to have it mask their entry into Cybertron airspace. And a little thing to note here. Cyclonus says, I long for the day when we will be able to attack honorably. What a nice character moment. Cyclonus doesn't like using subterfuge and thinks it lacks honor. That's what I call an above and beyond line. It wasn't necessary for Cyclonus to say anything in this scene, but they put it in to further define his character. Well done. Mm. We pan down and see Octane just taking a walk on Cybertron. He looks up to see the incoming shuttle and again trips over a raised panel on the ground. Now this isn't necessary either, but what does it say? Well, I (laughs) guess they're just reiterating that Octane is constantly watching his back distracted by any possible assassination attempts. I guess they're trying to humanize him a little more since he is a Decepticon and constantly embarrassing him in order to make him feel more relatable. But Octane looks up and out of the ship's exhaust plumes come the Decepticons firing down upon him. He tries to get away, but the Decepticons give chase into a corridor between buildings. Cyclonus yells for them to trap him here. Cyclonus, we would be honored if you would lead the assault. Now, Cyclonus knows when Scourge is trying to get out of work. (laughs) Cyclonus transforms and smacks Scourge, sending him careening out of control. You will lead the attack, coward! And this is another opportunity while you're listening to these, these clips, everybody, to notice the soundtrack, because we're back to very, literally the very first episode one of the major tracks from the very first episode, which is Emergency from when Bumblebee and Wheeljack were in that ring of fire. So it's just, it's it's something that I can't believe I never really noticed until we were doing this careful dive to the series that like, we got a lot of season one music with season three characters in it. Mm. It's really wild. Octane keeps running down the streets of Cybertron, eventually jumping down a bar covered port in a wall once the Decepticon gunfire destroys the bars for him. Octane falls down an underground tunnel where he has a look around. 
and he finds himself in a Decepticon crypt. Statues of fallen Decepticons surround him with a decorative sort of display in the middle of the room, which burns fire out of its top. Can you describe this thing better, Jersey? Yeah, I mean, if, if those of you who remember Transformers the movie, it feels a lot like the coronation room that Starscream was in just before Galvatron murdered him. But now, for some reason, it's underground. And I mean, I guess it makes sense because they're calling it a crypt. So there's like the eternal fire burning in the middle, like the small fire that's burning. It's not burning so bright because the place is heavily in shadow. But there are clear Decepticon statues on top of a platform with a round port at the bottom, which I believe was in the the markers in the Transformers the movie scene with Starscream's coronation. It's a mm-hmm. it's like a statue of a Decepticon on a platform with a round port on the the facing part of the platform, which I assume is where their cremains get put after they're recycled or whatever. Mm. But yeah, it's it's clear right away this is a spooky place where Octane has found himself. And Octane is clearly spooked and he begins trembling. He walks deeper into the room, and he looks up at the first statue he sees. Oh, uh, sorry, Thundercracker. I'll hide behind someone else's marker. Aw, I'm touched. Thundercracker (laughs) got a statue commemorating his death. Just as we saw in the movie during Starscream's coronation, we see that the evil self-serving Decepticons actually honor fallen warriors with statues. I love that. And it also boosts my theory that it doesn't matter that Scourge was made from the body of Thundercracker. Scourge is a different character. He's not just Thundercracker with a new look and voice. He's a character created wholesale by Unicron, who just happened to be built out of the reshaped metal of Thundercracker's dead body. Thundercracker died, and he's no longer with us. Scourge doesn't think back and remember being Thundercracker. Your headcanon may vary, but I've never seen any indication of that. And so Thundercracker got a memorial statue. I wish we got an episode touching on these Undecepticon-like traditions, but alas, this is the most we'll get. But it also begs the question, what was the Thundercracker-Octane relationship like? (laughs) We never got to see them interact. Obviously, we the viewer haven't seen them interact with anyone but Trypticon, so that's a missed opportunity. So many missed opportunities with the original series. Mm, yeah, I like I like to think of a fan comic where Thundercracker and Octane before the war like worked some kind of like similar job. They're mm-hmm. both like, you know, like on some in construction or something like that yeah. like a long time ago or in like sanitation. <laughs> 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 you know, they, they they were never like friends, but they sometimes played cards after work mm-hmm. kind of thing. <laughs> but but like, you know, Octane every once in a while thinks about like, or actually, no, I'd flip it. I'd say Thundercracker every once in a while thinks about sharing some of his personal pain with Octane, but he just doesn't. It does. The <laughs> opening never shows up because Octane's kind of a, you know, Octane's Octane. But <laughs> yeah, it, it does invite all sorts of possibility. And I do remember as a child being excited about seeing an original Seeker in a Season 3 episode. Because remember, everybody, this was a year since Season 2, right? hmm So for, for our little, you know, teen and preteen perspectives, that was like a 13th of my life since I've seen a Decepticon Seeker animated in the show. So that felt like, especially given the name of this episode, I'm like, whoo, whoa, I just saw Thundercracker. That's kind of cool. And this episode's called Starscream's Ghost. So it feels like we've been waiting forever for this. (laughs) (laughs) 
So Octane continues looking for a place to hide, pausing in front of another statue. I know death comes to anyone who hides behind my marker. Now this must have been intended to be a memorial statue for Dirge, as we've never heard another Decepticon talk that way. But although we do see a Dirge-looking Decepticon blow up in Unicron's mouth in the movie, Dirge, Ramjet, and Thrust all appear in Season 3, and not just in the background. They get lines mm -hmm. with their usual voices and cadences, so it seems there was a bit of confusion amongst writers whether or not they'd actually be dead in Season 3. Mm. Conveniently, the statue looks nothing like Dirge, so that's either a lucky accident, or they made it look different once they realized that Dirge shouldn't be dead. I don't know the details, but kudos to them for correcting the inconsistency if that's what happened. Octane continues walking around the crypt, coming across a memorial of just two very familiar legs. As Klutzy Octane manages to knock one of the legs over, he utters Starscream's name. If you remember, when Starscream died, he literally crumbled to dust save for his boots, which remained pretty well intact. So someone apparently thought it would be funny to memorialize him like that. They didn't want to dishonor him by not giving him a memorial, but if they had to memorialize him, they were going to burn him one final time. Yeah, I like that idea. Is that yeah? It's like, well, he he did do a lot of good stuff, Megatron. He did give us the Combaticons. All right, fine. <laughs> but if we're gonna put it up. I would be like this. This for you, Starscream. This is the way we'll always remember you. Incinerated, because <laughs> the Thundercracker one, he's like looking kind of awesome. He's looking down at you in this like kind of like not actually pose, but like a, a proud pose, mm -hmm. you know. But, but Starscream, just boots, just his boots. <laughs> that for you, Starscream. So Octane knocks over one of the legs, and suddenly we hear a sound. Who is it? Come out, sweep. Now Octane starts shaking, letting his fear get the best of him. He's so scared he partially transforms, about 85% in trunk mode, but with his head still sticking out. I absolutely love this. This idea that a Transformer can get physically discombobulated when they are mentally discombobulated is a great idea. Mm -hmm. We haven't gotten a lot of experience with Transformers with anxiety or in frightful situations, and I am all here for it. So Octane is spooked by noises and stuck mid-transformation as he calls out, uh, Who's that? It's your old buddy, Starscream! <laughs> Octane turns to find a translucent glowing form behind him looking and sounding just like Starscream. Octane's jaw is agape and he is shaking. Just a shadow of my former self! The spectral seeker leans towards the trembling triple changer who protests that he's fine and outstretches an arm to keep Starscream away, outstretches an arm while still 85% in truck mode, causing him to fall over sideways. Yeah, this actually looks 
pretty good, especially for an ACOM episode. Like the way mm-hmm. they've rendered Starscream's ghost form and how he's like all blurry at the feet area. Yeah. I agree with you that the idea of Octane kind of losing his, his stuff and being stuck in, he's still got the wings sticking out and yeah. his head sticking out. So he's like kind of halfway between robot and truck and jet. Yeah. And like the, it, it's, it was a brilliant idea to visually deliver because like also this is something that the animation could not deliver on if they wanted to show him looking panicked mm-hmm. right you can have his mouth open you can maybe have him shake a little bit but they just didn't have the frame rate to show the mm-hmm. body language necessary to show him coming to pieces so let, with their transformers why not have them if they fall to pieces literally just turn into whatever they turn into yeah right that's great well then we cut back to cyclonus and the gang who find the port that octane dove into he must be hiding in the crypt. Good. Then we won't have to take him anywhere when we're done. Now, Scourge doesn't usually get great lines, but there's a first time for everything, apparently. We rejoin Octane, who's pulled himself together back to robot mode, and Starscream explains. Don't fear me, Octane. We have more in common than you might think. So let's note some things. We do not know the whys or hows that Starscream has survived as a ghost. We don't know if Starscream knows why it happened. Beast Wars will later sort of half explain that Starscream had an inextinguishable spark but we never really learned why or how. We don't know the rules behind all this. But Starscream does know that Megatron is Galvatron now. Starscream didn't learn Galvatron's name before he crumbled to dust, so has Ghost Starscream been floating around getting the lay of the land on how things are these days? Or as a ghost, is he granted some sort of omniscient knowledge? It's not explained. We can only postulate and develop our own headcanons. Now, full disclosure, I am very into the paranormal, and I love stories about ghosts and survival after quote-unquote death, so this takes my love of Transformers and crosses it over with another one of my interests, so I am super on board here. That was going to be my question for you, is how did you feel about Transformers suddenly revealing having ghosts? Now, we know that they have an afterlife of some sort by way of the Matrix, Mm -hmm. right? Rodimus converses with past Autobot leaders, but... You know, if Gears gets killed, we don't know what happens to him. Right? <laughs> Rodimus doesn't go like, hey, I want to check in with my old pal Huffer. I'm still whining. Oh, I'll, I'll see you later, Huffer. <laughs> but, sure is cramped in this matrix. Okay, I got to go, Huffer. <laughs> but, but like to, to find out that, yeah, all Transformers have some kind of afterlife. I feel like is opening the door for some pushback from some people, right? Because I, you know, they're living beings. They have a consciousness. And if you believe in like spirituality and afterlife, then it it stands to reason that Johnny five could have an afterlife. Right. (laughs) But I could see some people pushing back on it. So I was curious how you were going to take that as a kid. I don't think I really thought a whole lot about it because yeah, ghosts and the supernatural were just like part of our media diet back then. I mm-hmm. think they still are in a lot of ways. But because I remember going to my school library and checking out books on UFO encounters, Bigfoots, cryptids, yep. and and uh, supernatural experiences. You know, I, I I was fascinated by it. So 
this felt like a very easy leap for me to make. And also, I, I have to check in with Kid Hoover how he felt seeing and hearing Starscream again because this kid was on cloud nine. Yeah, I was too. I mean, as I said before, I was not immediately won over by season three. Mm-hmm. To me, in comparison, it was not as good as the previous seasons. I didn't like the cast as much. So mm-hmm. to suddenly have a season one cast member and one of my favorite season one cast members mm-hmm. just pop back in, I was yeah. all on board. Yeah, yeah. So this was like edge of my seat excitement. This, mm-hmm. I mean, and I, I, I'm not exaggerating. I was like, you know, almost out of breath. I was so excited <laughs> this was happening. I'm looking around at my siblings like, are you seeing what I'm seeing? I'm like, nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> well, I cared. <laughs> But let's cut back to Cyclonus and the gang. There's three sweeps here in addition to Scourge and Cyclonus. And Scourge is ordering one of the sweeps to take the lead entering the crypt. You go down that shaft! How come I gotta do the dirty work? You see if the traitor is hiding down there! No way! If you're so fired up to know what's going on, you go down there! You lead! I wouldn't want anyone thinking that I question you as a leader, but sorry. I question your leadership skills, Scourge. The last one in there will face me. You have much to learn. Yes, it is true. Now dive! Now this is awesome. We see the sweeps can be completely insubordinate and they sass back at Scourge when they don't want to do something. But Cyclonus scares them. (laughs) That's cool enough... But then they also add in that Scourge is big enough to admit that he's got a lot to learn. That's cool. A Decepticon with some humility. Unfortunately, I'm not sure we'll ever see Scourge this humble again. So the five Decepticons make their way into the underground crypt. And there's a little bit of physical comedy here as they all land. Because like the first sweep lands, then the next sweep lands on his back. And he fall, they both fall down and the third sweep falls on them and they all fall down. Uh, and then it just cuts to Cyclonus landing all gracefully and everything. Yeah. But, and it's like, the animation was like, it's okay. I can't tell if they were intentionally trying to play it quiet. Like, you know, like do like not be too ham fisted about the physical comedy. Well, if it were a Deke Transformers cartoon, somehow <laughs> there'd be like a slide whistle. There would. <laughs> yeah. But instead there's just some kind of eerie music and then just the sound of them crashing. There's not even like an oof or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, my guess is they're trying to play it classy, but still be like the womp womp. The sweeps are no good. But it's like there's there's some more jokes coming up at the sweeps expense. But I want to piggyback onto your comment just a moment ago about the characterization of this episode. Let's go back to, and I, I'm so glad we're, that this episode is in our viewfinder right now because it's so soon after Fight or Flee. And not, I'm not going to keep bagging on Fight or Flee, but it's a good example of what we've been talking about where Razorclaw and Brawl are like running and chasing down Sandstorm, right? And it's like, cool, we're going to see what the dynamic is between these two characters. Like, I want to beat him up. No, I want to beat him up. I'm like, oh, that's all you got? <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's the characterization that we're going to have here? This episode, we're like almost to the second act break. And we have gotten to learn a lot about all the characters in this, just through a few lines. Like you pointed out, Cyclonus does the whole, yeah, I hate sneaking into places. And then uh-huh. we get this whole scene where, and I remember this really landing, I'm like, oh, like Scourge is like sort of like Cyclonus's student? I didn't know that. Uh-huh. You know, I, I, I was reading too far into it, but it suggests that, you know, Cyclonus and Scourge have a 
if not a mentor mentee relationship, it's that there's like a mutual respect between the two of them mm-hmm. of some kind. Right. And then, yeah, you can find out that the sweeps aren't just cowards because they also have like a lot of language to support their choice. You know, it's like, I don't want anybody to think that I'm out of line here, but <laughs> no, I'm not going down there, you know? So it just feels like on top of a story with a lot of bounce and a lot of interesting scenes and locations and action, we're also learning about these characters. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't the rest of season three do this? <laughs> <laughs> and this is by an author who apparently had no previous credits. The, why didn't they hire her to do all of season three? <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> this is really good. I mean, and, and the whole like, you know, Scourge being like, oh, I've got a lot to learn. That actually goes against his his foul card. But so does Octane's like Octane's foul card was like, he likes to withhold fuel from people. Okay. <laughs> you know, so it's like they, they took something, they, they took a small idea and just ran with it. And I love where they're going with it. I don't have a problem with Scourge suddenly being like, yeah, I know I kind of suck at the Cyclonus. I'm sorry. I'll do better next time. <laughs> Cause truly if Cyclonus with Roger C. Carmel's voice says you have a lot to learn. You say, yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God help anybody who is in his class. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, this it, this just keeps adding up to more good stuff. I'm so happy. The three sweeps are all as nervous as Octane was. They want no part in investigating a crypt. But Cyclonus barks out some orders, which finally motivates them. They all fan out and look for Octane. But then Cyclonus sees Octane's foot sticking out from behind one of the memorials, and he tries to appeal to his honor, telling him to come out and die like a warrior. But Octane doesn't budge, and this incenses Cyclonus, who bellows, How dare you disgrace your ancestors by cowering like a pocket computer! He's worse than the sweeps! So the statue that Octane is hiding behind... This couldn't have been on purpose. This must have been an ACOM got an ACOM kind of thing because I, I screen grabbed it. And who does that appear to be in that? The, whose statue does that appear to be? I should say. It definitely, of, of all characters, it looks the most like Megatron. I mean, really off model, but yeah. TF Wiki at least took it to be a statue for Megatron, which you could say ruins my theory that Thundercracker got a statue because Thundercracker's dead. And, you know, even though Scourge is alive. Yeah. That kind of ruins my theory that, you know, Galvatron is just a coked up Megatron, essentially. (laughs) Well, I mean, but given Galvatron's like wildness of not only mood swings, but like, you know, sort of personality perspectives, I I do have to wonder if he's like, oh, yeah, let's make a statue for Megatron. And then Cyclonus be like, but aren't you Megatron? And he would get swatted in the head. No, I'm not. You know, I'm coked up Megatron. That Megatron was lame. You know, he, he didn't understand Bright Light's big city. I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I have to think that that was... It, 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 I don't think your your theory is blown, but it's just it was interesting to me that, like, there's this quick pan down. It's like, oh, well, yeah, that's that clearly looks like it's supposed to be Megatron. Mm-hmm. But it also opens up a whole new can of worms. Like, when Galvatron shows up in Transformers, the movie, in the coronation scene... Mm-hmm. The Decepticons have no idea who he is. He doesn't look mm-hmm. familiar. In fact, Little Rumble says, what did he say his name was? Mm-hmm. So they don't necessarily know that he's Megatron rebuilt, but at some point it becomes kind of commonplace 
Yeah, fact. because Astro Train says in Five mm-hmm. Faces of Darkness, they're yeah. the same guy. Yeah, they were the same guy. Yeah. Unless there's like some sort of like, I don't know, like chip broadcast inside Transformers that like identify <laughs> who they are that other yeah. Transformers can read. I mean, unless you want to go with a technology like that. Uh, I don't know. You've worked in, you know, you've worked in a lot of different jobs. You know, corporate and company gossip is like a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure it's something where like this, like the sweeps were like talking about it and Scourge and Cyclone is like, don't you talk about this in front of the other Decepticons. And then, like the sweep surgery, like don't don't tell anybody who Galvatron really is. Don't tell anybody. And then he pass it down the line until finally gets to like swindle or somebody. Like what? <laughs> you mean that's Megatron? <laughs> Shh! Don't tell anybody. I told you. <laughs> I don't know, but but yeah, I I, I I'm gonna chalk it up to I I gotta think that this is just like an Acom goof. And also, I mean, it's like I think it's a fool's game to try to knit together too much of season three because mm-hmm. it is so hit and miss. Because, like, another thing is, is if you look at Cyclonus, he looks different than what we've seen in past Transformers episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were a couple different, I guess, like, revision levels of the Season 3 model sheets. And for whatever reason, all the ACOM episodes are using older model sheets. They got revised, mm. and they somehow did not get the revisions. I see. So and that's, that's another easy way to point out an ACOM episode because some of the character models are just slightly off. Mm-hmm. And Cyclonus yeah. is definitely one of them. Yeah, he looks more vampiric in this episode than he does in, say, The Killing Jar. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got those, those big, the big dark, they're not eyebrows exactly. They're like almost like between his eyebrow and his upper lid is all just black. And then he's mm-hmm. got like this weird little soul patch on his chin. Yeah. So and then like the way his his laugh lines are emphasized with on his face it's just it's just he looks a little bit scarier than mm-hmm. he does in other series. So yeah, Acom got an Acom, but <laughs> here 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 is Cyclonus about to murder Octane. <laughs> Octane pulls his foot back so he can't be seen anymore, but it's too late for that. Cyclonus still shrieks for him to come out, wanting Octane to do the honorable thing. Again, like Cyclonus is like ten feet away yeah, from where Octane yeah. is hiding. <laughs> yeah. All he has to do is like walk ten feet and he's right there. But Cyclonus being an honorable guy, he wants Octane to be an honorable guy and say, Okay, here I am. Yeah. Yeah, there there's that and I I must have shared the story on, on the podcast before, but like there's that story of the samurai who's like hunting down the murderer of his master. And he gets he corners the guy and he begins to unsheath his sword and then the the guy the, the person who's being hunted in his terror spits in the samurai's face and the mm-hmm. samurai puts the sword back and walks away because the, he knew at, he was angered and if he did it out of his own anger <laughs> then it wasn't a noble act if it was on behalf of his master that's one thing but you don't do it for any selfish reason like that kind of like the the nobility of the warrior class kind of thing is what's going on here and yeah I know you are, are such a sucker for this <laughs> like the the, the this this to you is like what Chip Chase pushing all of his courage into his arms is to me. <laughs> <laughs> but then, meanwhile, we see a sparkly, translucent Starscream approach Cyclonus from behind. And with Octane now in front of Cyclonus, seemingly surrendering, Octane's vision is fixed on something swirling behind Cyclonus, which Cyclonus immediately notices. 
Cyclonus demands to know what Octane is gaping at, but just then the swirl of energy envelops Cyclonus and we get this cool shot of him sort of flashing between his normal exterior and what seems to be his robotic skeleton inside, pulsating with energy. He goes to speak. Cyclonus speaks with Starscream's voice, letting us know that Ghost Starscream can possess other Transformers and take over their bodies. Starscream laughs as we head to our second commercial break. Yeah, I, I remember the scene of when Starscream's possessing him. Like It kind of freaked me out when you see Cyclonus's skeleton, or whatever mm. that is. I tried to screen grab it, and it's, like, it's not exactly a skeleton. It's like sort of like an abstracted skeletal robot body, because like you don't see like arms or anything, and like the mm -hmm. shoulder there's no like the shoulders are like triangles it's it's really weird looking but it's the way it's animated this is one of those times i'll be glad to high five acom they did a good job of making it seem kind of freaky yeah it, it has like a nightmarish quality and and i think it should because we're literally watching starscream invade another person's body mm -hmm. <laughs> that should be upsetting so it, it, for me, it was this weird mix of like, I'm excited that Starscream's back, but that was scary. So can you hit me with some endorphins so I can forget about the feelings <laughs> and just enjoy having things around me? So finally, we're starting to see why this episode is called Starscream's Ghost. And I don't know about you, but I don't want Starscream possessing me. So <laughs> I'm going to patrol the house with the real Ghostbusters Ghost Zapper. There's something strange in the neighborhood. If I never had this toy. Is 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 the play feature? Am I to understand that it's like it, you can project a picture of the Marshmallow Man on the wall, and like you flick a switch, you can make his eyebrows go up and down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that what seems to be happening here. Uh, you know, you tried to sell me on Ghostbusters before, and I was kind of like, eh. And I feel like this is not getting me there. <laughs> so look, it's the Marshmallow Man. He's blinking at you. Oh no! And I guess I'll hit him with a Nerf ball. Oh. Yeah, I I still I I liked the movies. I think they were fun. I'm not that interested in running around my house pretending to be fighting ghosts that I have to project on the wall in order to fight them. That's that's I don't know. Well, if we need to get back to playing with action figures to find your comfort zone, we can get the original Ghostbusters from the filmation cartoon in action figure form from Shaper. Everyone remembers the toy company Shaper, right? Oh, that shaper. <laughs> <laughs> Ghostbuster toys, so much fun, it's spooky. Play Ghostbusters. With your own play figures. Jake has a magic backpack and ghost gun. Primeval has a real cape. Look out, humans. Pull yourself together, you rusty wreck. Ghostbuster figures from Shopper. So much fun, it's spooky. Okay, so I've got my biases. 
And I'm always going to have more favor for anything Lou Scheimer was associated with. So I think that's part of the reason why I'm just kind of like lukewarm on the, the Ghostbusters movies. It's like, cause I know that Lou Scheimer's show was first and that he had a hard time with like negotiating that whole business. And then they made that D cartoon, which was a lovely cartoon, but they call it, we're the real Ghostbusters. Shut up. Lou Scheimer was there first. Don't do that. That's nasty. But so even though the, the filmation Ghostbusters cartoon was weird, you know, Jake has a magic backpack. <laughs> I'm still going to go there. I'm still going to say, you know what? I'm going to support this because actually Alan Oppenheimer is primeval. That's pretty cool. So I, I, I had no idea these toys existed, Hoover. Somehow I missed all of it. <laughs> well, I can't imagine that Shaper was a very big company. So <laughs> they had a all what the distribution was like on these. I yeah, think I, I remember them, but. You know, I, I definitely wasn't into watching the show. I remember trying to watch the show once, and I was just like, oh, I can't do it. <laughs> it's not that bad. It, but it is. It's it's Filmation around the same time they're doing Brave Star and He-Man, so it has that flavor to it. So if you're, I feel like, you know, if you're like 12 and, and watching that, it's gonna, it's not going to work. I think if you, right. if you were six, it was probably perfect for you. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, it's of its time and it's of its company, but I find it to be very charming. I still love it. Oh, and I got to to track down a prime evil now. So <laughs> I'll take the whole set. I'm swooping my arms across the table <laughs> and pushing them all into my shirt. Well, again, I find myself famished after shopping, and coincidentally, here's a commercial for Pac-Man pasta with little pasta Pac-Man and ghosts with or without meatballs. Oh, Pac-Man! Goodness, a new Pac-Man pasta from Chef Boyardee. New Pac-Man pasta? Mmm, little spaghetti shaped like us. Delicious. And because Chef Boyardee is packed with goodness, it's great when we have to eat and run. New Pac-Man pasta from Chef Boyardee. With meatballs? Mm-hmm. Without meatballs? Mm-hmm. Or chicken flavor? Mm-hmm. Thank goodness for new Pac-Man pasta. Thank goodness for Chef Boyardee. Oh, well, we've talked in some past episodes about how I just fantasized about Pac-Man all the time when I was like third and fourth grade and having played the video game exactly one time. But it's just like there's something whatever that was. I want that in my life all the time. And I, and I love the Pac-Man Saturday morning cartoon. As a matter of fact, for one of my friend's birthday parties, I actually put on a Pac-Man puppet show where I made Pac-Man puppets out of paper bags. And then and then uh, Bill Maxwell from the Greatest American Hero showed up in the story somehow. <laughs> And then, and then afterwards, we went in the backyard and played Pac-Man, like just running around. I don't know how that works, but I remember saying, like, let's go play Pac-Man. I'm like, oh, we're going to play the game? No, we're going to run in the backyard. But I thought about Pac-Man a lot, and I love the cartoon. I have tried to watch the Pac-Man cartoon since then. Oh, hey, Peppa, we're going with some bubble pellets. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. I think my nostalgia keeps me sitting there, but there's not much else. But... I would have gotten as many of these as I could, and I'm so <laughs> grateful they have it without meatballs. So I'm gonna, and and, and, and it, because of Chef Boyardee's, they're packed with goodness. Is this what Pac-Man says? <laughs> you look at so, the ingredients. It says goodness. That's <laughs> just too much. Oh my gosh, it's overwhelming with goodness. So whatever that means, I know I'm gonna stay healthy indefinitely. <laughs> this is like ambrosia. I'm. I, 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 I'm actually 700 years old. I've just been living off of Pac-Man Pasta because it's so full of goodness. 
<laughs> but yeah, I'll take that too. Without meatballs, please. Uh, you got me to get two out of three once again. I just love how Chef YRD was like always at the ready to jump on a trend. Like yeah. they had Smurfs pasta, Pac-Man pasta. Later oh. on, they had Spider-Man pasta and X-Men pasta. Oh, yeah. Well, and when the new Star Wars movies came out, they came out with a Wookiee pasta. And don't <laughs> don't think that I didn't get... I got like dozens of cans of that because I'm like, oh, it's Wookiee chow. You know, it's like I got like a, an instant lunch. I just warm up some Wookiee chow. It had Chewbacca on it roaring. That's, that's the greatest. It, it, it's so funny how... Even today, I'm susceptible to that. Like, you put a character on a on a food product that I and I like the character, I'm like sixty percent more likely to purchase it. <laughs> they say advertising doesn't work. I'm afraid yeah. they're wrong. <laughs> they're very wrong. Oh, all right. So let's let's see how this episode wraps up. Now that Starscream is doing a full on Exorcist kind of storyline. Well, as we return, Octane asks if it's really Starscream in there, and Starscream slash Cyclonus retorts. Now that seems an odd thing to say, but this is actually in reference to a 1950s commercial with the line, only my hairdresser knows for sure. Now no kid in the 80s is going to get a 1950s commercial reference. Right. I don't know if the writers were intentionally including jokes for parents or merely to entertain themselves, but Starscream finds it funny. Yeah, this is one of those ones where this one I was alluding to earlier, where like as a kid I was like, I, I, "What did he say there?" I rewind the tape again. Only my metal punisher, my metal punisher, my metal polisher. What's a metal polisher? You know. And then years later, I'm watching like the Game Show Network and like old What's My Line episodes, and like this commercial gets played in some kind of like '50s throwback sort of like moment, and it was like 30 years of being confused. Suddenly goes, "Oh." <laughs> And I felt great, like realizing what that meant. But I was like, "But why make something that's yeah?" That was just for the writers. There's no way. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's it's a weird, weird line. So Starclonus tells Octane <laughs> to make this look good, and he yells out in Cyclonus's voice that he's captured the traitor, which brings the others all running. He tells them, "We will take him back to Char as a trophy for Galvatron." <laughs> Again, this proves that Starscream knows stuff. When he died, the Decepticons weren't headquartered on Char. When he possessed Cyclonus, did he get all of Cyclonus's knowledge, too? Or does he know about Char from skulking around as a ghost? We don't know. Activate <laughs> headcanon. <laughs> this line is also great because Cyclonus would never belly laugh like that, but Starscream would. Starclonus then turns to Octane and reminds him to look scared or else he'll really have to kill him. We then cut away to Cybertron where Cup is on monitor duty, seeing the Decepticons and their prisoner Octane fly overhead. Octane's being held in chains by the sweeps. Surprised that the Decepticons have infiltrated the planet, the Autobots launch an attack, with Sandstorm flying in, telling Octane not to worry, they'll rescue him. But this inspires Starclonus to shout, Get out of the way! There seems to be something wrong with Cyclonus's voice. Yes, he sounds like Starscream. No need to be insulting. I love that. Comparing someone to Starscream has become an insult in Decepticon <laughs> lingo. So Starclonus shoots Sandstorm, forcing him to land. 
but the aerial bots are here as well on the Decepticon's tail. So Starclonish decides that they're going to fight them on Cybertron's surface, I guess knowing of their prowess in the air. But he keeps yelling orders in his own voice rather than Cyclonus's. The Decepticons find cover on Cybertron's surface as the aerial bots land and try to locate them. Magnus, Cup, and Rodimus arrive to help, charging in, guns blazing. Starclonus blames Octane for the Autobots getting involved, and the pair play the blame game back and forth so distracted that Rodimus is able to sneak up behind them and grab Cyclonus by the shoulder. Now let Octane go! Octane is free to go! Starscream! That's right. And if you want a bonus beyond your wildest dreams, you will release us now! And Rodimus just stands there as Cyclonus and Octane take off. The Aerialbots are confused as nobody's shooting, but Rodimus yells out, telling the Autobots to hold their fire. So this is an interesting move by Rodimus. First off, Starscream has such a distinct voice that he's apparently instantly recognizable to any Transformer. There weren't any Autobots around to witness Starscream's death, so you have to wonder if they just assumed that he died after the Battle of Autobot City like all the other Decepticons who did, or, now that they control Cybertron, maybe they'd found the crypt and were able to get confirmation of these deaths? Or maybe to them he was just MIA up to no good. In any case, Rodimus agrees to just let them go. Do you think Optimus would have let them go? I think Optimus would have needed to hear more reasons. But Rodimus is just like, huh, let's see how this plays out. <laughs> and that seems I to be Rodimus's yeah. take on anything. Like, <laughs> in Five Faces of Darkness, when the Autobots were just flying through the air after the ship exploded, he's just, hey, let's just ride it out and enjoy the ride. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I do think that that... I feel like there is the implication that there was more of a conversation between him and Starscream here. Mm. It seems kind of abrupt where he's like, you, you want a bonus? Well, what does that even mean? What does it mean if you want a bonus beyond your wildest dreams? I, I had a feel like he was like, he quickly whispered, I'll bring you Galvatron, you know, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But I, I do, yeah, you're right. Optimus would have been like, well, what assurances do I have that blah, blah, blah. I'm going to mm. like hand over, you know, somebody who was seeking asylum with us to you. You know, what 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 assurances do you give me? Rodimus is like, all right, I'm a gambling man. Yeah. <laughs> you know this 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 journey through season three is really making me question why I love Rodimus so much, Hoover. I think it might be based on <laughs> I, I really think it might be based on two episodes. Cause I, I, I think when I think back, like uh, the case I always made for him is like, oh, he was like to, to watch the, the the young prime become the Optimus Prime. But we really don't get very much of that at all. We're like halfway through season three, aren't we? And most of what we've gotten from Rodimus is like, eh, what are you going to do? <laughs> Man. But also what I really like about this is that Rodimus is basically trying to save Octane. Yeah, yeah. That's a nice little touch that a Decepticon who was granted asylum is essentially just treated as an Autobot. And if he's in trouble, they're going to go try to save him. And we're, yeah, we're going to get out of our big guns. We're going to bring Superion and Ultra Magnus and Cup, you know, yep. and we're, we're not just sending out, you know, the throttle bots or anybody. <laughs> so, no, I think that's great, but it's just, it's, it's, 
I guess this is something that had to they had to get cut for time is that we can't see Rodimus doing the sort of moral hand wringing that would be required for this kind of moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and, and in my teen years, as, as I fell in love with Rodimus as a character, I loved the idea of him and Starscream kind of winking at each other. Kind of like, and then Magnus would be all like, why did you let him go? And Rodimus would turn to Magnus and be like, it's Starscream. If he gives us Galvatron, he's in charge of the Decepticons, how difficult is it going to be to destroy the Decepticons or defeat the Decepticons, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I feel like that is a very Rodimus-y kind of gamble to play that Optimus would never do, but that's yep. why they're different characters, and that's why I like them both dif- different ways. <laughs> you can like more than one thing. <laughs> <laughs> It's like when a stepdad sits you down and says, look, I'm not your father. <laughs> Don't compare it to that, because I think that's, that's how a lot of guys our age really felt about Rodimus. <laughs> Stop kissing my mom. <laughs> yeah, some guys took it a little too hard. It's just a, it's just a pretend TV show, everybody. It's okay. I believe in characters, too. <laughs> So Starclonus takes Octane to Galvatron, who actually gets to sit on the throne this time, thanks Acom, and not be invisible. <laughs> I ordered this traitor destroyed! I thought I'd leave the pleasure of deactivating the miserable traitor to you. Besides, he might have information about the Autobots. Yes, we shall interrogate him. Even if it's not informative, it will be fun. Now during this, we see another one of those electronic fritzes around Galvatron's head, which I think is just shorthand for Galvatron being crazy. Mm-hmm. So Starclonus pretends he's torturing Octane using a whip-type weapon. <laughs> there's this really cute fourth wall break here where it, while he's whipping him it cuts the Galvatron who lo- kind of looks at the camera and smiles and does this oh that's one thing I'll say about Cyclones he does a good interrogation <laughs> it's like Wilford Brimley it's a right, the right thing to do and a tasty way to do it kind of thing <laughs> <laughs> I've always loved that line. I like the idea of Galatron like relishing in somebody being cruel. <laughs> and you don't often hear either Megatron or Galvatron ever say anything nice about his troops. So yeah, it true. feels special. It feels very special. It's almost like I want it's 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 unfortunate that Cyclonus didn't know that this was said. You know? So I think that's the kind of thing he would have engraved and put in his bedroom. <laughs> true. <laughs> So Octane is getting whipped, and then at Starclonus' urging, he finally says he'll talk. What Octane reveals, we don't know, but we can deduce it from the next scene. But before we go to the next scene, we do have to take a moment to notice, and I know it's an ACOM episode, everybody, but look at Char. Char is looking a lot different at this point in the season. It's really been built up. Galvatron's put those Constructicons to work. (laughs) If we're going to live here, it's not going to look like a... Like a piece of crap. It, it, it looks have some buildings. <laughs> it looks more like Cybertron. Yep. Without a lot of the, the plating on it. But yeah, it's it's interesting. I never noticed this until now that Char eventually becomes not less of a wasteland, more of just like an evil Cybertron. Hmm. So then we cut away to an unfamiliar location where Rodimus stands alone. Starclonus, Octane, and Galvatron arrive, and they seem to be expected. Galvatron says he's lived all his life for this day. 
So we are led to believe that Rodimus has requested a one-on-one -on -one showdown with Galvatron. Now Rodimus is definitely in on this, so I guess either Octane or Starclonus radioed him with the details, and they've told Galvatron that Rodimus wants a one-on-one -on -one battle. So Rodimus pulls his gun, but suddenly Galvatron says it's more honorable to fight without weapons. So Rodimus tosses his gun aside and comes out swinging. It's an ACOM fight, so it looks pretty bad. But Rodimus gets some good hits in, and once Galvatron gets the slightest advantage, he asks, Had enough time? Shall I end it for you quickly? Not quite! Galvatron goes flying after a kick from Rodimus and is stunned after he hits his head on a rock. Now this is Acom, so if you put this up against the Prime Megatron fight in the movie, it's night and day. I mean, even comparing the dialogue, it's nowhere near as good. Recall Prime's iconic, NEVER, in the movie, compared to Rodimus's, NOT QUITE! <laughs> it's night and day. But Galvatron shakes it off. <laughs> when you say Galvatron shakes it off, he literally, he's laying on his back with his head against a rock and he puts his hand over his face. He, you actually hear Frank Welker doing like a... Kind of yeah. <laughs> it's such a good little tiny piece of performance with this character. Oh my gosh. And then yes, what happens next? Because this is actually a pretty, I feel like, a, a classic image of season three. Mm -hmm. Galvatron turns his attention back to Ronimus. Only now there's eight Autobots, all with guns aimed squarely at Galvatron. This isn't the one-on-one -on -one fight that Galvatron thought he was getting into. Starclonus and Octane fly off as Rodimus waves goodbye and thanks. So Octane and Starscream have served up Galvatron on a platter for the Autobots. Not bad, not bad at all. And then we cut away to Char where Starclonus and Octane are having a good laugh pondering Galvatron's fate. Starclonus is sitting on the throne like he owns the place now. Acom manages to animate Cyclonus saying Octane's line and vice versa, so Acom gonna Acom. <laughs> Octane thinks they've seen the last of Galvatron, thinking he's safely in Autobot custody by now. But who comes walking in, looking much worse for wear, with a lot of physical damage, cracks and broken parts, not to mention the electrical sparking around his head, but Galvatron. So who wins in a fight between Galvatron and seven Autobots? Galvatron. <laughs> yeah. This is, I have to say, this is a lovely piece of storytelling, especially for an ACOM episode, because it's like, tell you what, let's not show what that fight looked like. Let's just mm -hmm. show Galvatron afterwards alive, but he looks like heck. You yeah. know? <laughs> so we get to fill in the blanks. We can fill it up with the most beautiful animation we can imagine of Galvatron beating <laughs> the living heck out of everybody and everybody beating the living heck out of Galvatron. And at some point, he comes out ahead. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Octane and Starscream are shocked at Galvatron being here, and Starscream has to stammer out an excuse in Cyclonus's voice to cover for them. But when pushed and maybe taking into account the damage that Galvatron's taken, Starscream decides to give up the ghost, so to speak, speaking in his own voice. Well now, who do you think I mean? Starscream! <laughs> Octane takes this opportunity to get out of Dodge and runs right out of frame. 
Galvatron goes from shocked to excited. I shall enjoy destroying you even more this time than the last. Destroying me was a great disservice to all Decepticons. And with that, Galvatron transforms and fires at Cyclonus. But Starscream's ethereal form rises up out of Cyclonus before the blast hits. Cyclonus falls to the ground, billowing with smoke and confused, saying the last thing he remembers is being in the Decepticon crypt. <laughs> Poor guy. This is like, I, I genuinely feel bad for Cyclonus here. Because <laughs> you just wake up and your whole stomach's blown out by Galvatron. <laughs> and, and, and what I love is like how, how unsurprised he is. Like, what happened? The last thing I remember is in the Decepticon crypt. Oh, did I get shot by Galvatron again? Oh, that's right. I got shot by Galvatron again, you know. <laughs> Galvatron resumes robot mode, hoping audibly that he's seen the last of Starscream, as three sweeps run in to investigate the commotion. He tells them to see that Cyclonus is repaired and storms off. The sweep says, of course, and we viewers see the transparent form of Starscream over the sweep's body, as we hear the laughter from Starscream, who clearly hasn't been destroyed, is just hiding in the body of a sweep. And this is how the episode ends. Except for an Autobots biographical short. That ending, I've always found it to be chilling. With mm-hmm. the, the sweep going, of course, Galvatron. And then you see Starscream's form like sort of superimposed over the top. But he, he doesn't do his normal screamy laugh. He does like this really soft kind of chuckle. Mm-hmm. And it's not a low chuckle. It's still high. It's still shrill. But it's really soft. And... It's always ever since I was a kid. It's always given me goosebumps that last moment of this one. It's a great ending. It's yeah. a great ending to a really, I think, terrific episode that doesn't really wrap up anything. You know, like there's no clear ending to it. And but man, there is so little to critique in the story. So yeah. So we're definitely not done following Starscream. This continues into our next episode, Ghost in the Machine. Now, rewatching this, I love it even more than I always have. It is dragged down by the ACOM animation for sure, but I'm almost glad that it has something going against it, because it's so good in every other respect. Plot? It brings back a fan-favorite character. It has a Decepticon seeking amnesty with Autobots. It has an Autobot befriending a Decepticon. It reveals that the Decepticons honor and mourn their dead. The Combaticons even get a cameo. Characters espouse their personality and character through their dialogue. It's all really good, except it's just a little bit ugly. This is great, possibly in my top two season three episodes. But I'm left with some questions. Like, who the heck is Megan McLaughlin? How did an unknown writer with no credits get the green light to bring back a major character? She has no Wikipedia page. Her IMDb has what shows that she wrote, but nothing about who she is. TF Wiki had nothing. I think I found her Twitter, but if it's her, she's now a meditation guru. I'm tempted to message her, but I'm not that bold yet. So it's just a weird situation. How does a first-time writer get a green light to bring back a dead character? Ghost in the Machine picks up where this leaves off, and that one's written by Michael Charles Hill and Joey Piedra, so I thought maybe they were all writing partners or she was the wife of one of them. But I couldn't find any evidence of that. So it's mysterious. 
Flint Dilly probably knows. So Undercover Hoove might have to do some investigating. If I'm caught by the police while I'm inside one of the Sumbo dumpsters, you'll know why. We'll do a GoFundMe. Now, fun fact, this episode was originally written to feature Blitzwing, not Octane. Recall that he was kicked out of the Decepticons at the end of Five Faces of Darkness, but Hasbro came back saying that they didn't want to feature a toy from the previous year and yet another episode, so they just slipped Octane into Blitzwing's role, but then they had to invent a reason for Octane to be kicked out of the Decepticons, so then they wrote Thief in the Night, or at least rewrote it to Sar Octane, one of the two. So it's pretty amazing that everything flows as well as it does, as long as you don't try to watch them all in airing order. Another aspect I want to point out is that Starscream can possess and take over the bodies of others. And yet, he didn't try to hop into Galvatron's body at the end. If he did, he could have just taken over his leader, as simple as that. But I think Starscream didn't try that because he feared that Galvatron is just too powerful to possess. I feel like if I can invoke stats from a third role-playing game system in one episode, this time the Marvel Superheroes RPG from the 80s, I feel like Galvatron has a monstrous level psyche. And had Starscream tried to hop in, Galvatron could have just resisted him, maybe even damaged Starscream in some way. So Starscream didn't even dare to try. He's just picking people around Galvatron to get at mm. Galvatron. Mm. So, Jersey, did you ever dabble in the Marvel Superheroes RPG? No, I never got to play that one, but I remember playing Palladium Heroes Unlimited when I was in high school, and there were similar mm-hmm. things where, like, you you could have, like, superior intelligence, and you'd have to, like, roll, like, a natural 20 to get one over on them or something like that. I forget. It's been decades, but I know what you're talking about. And yeah. actually, I would say your hoof theory is corroborated by the episode Web World, which we haven't gotten to yet. Hmm. Galvatron's brain takes on the brain of an entire planet and he wins (laughs) well another thing to note once Galvatron returns at the end Octane literally runs off screen like he's a cartoon (laughs) character leaving an Octane shaped hole in the wall is he in the next episode will we even see him again let's keep our eyes open and find out so In case you haven't been listening this entire episode, I love this episode. And I think I've made that clear. But enough about me, Jersey. What are your thoughts on this? And how did you take it as a kid? And how do you like it as an adult? And has it changed any since rewatching it to do for this podcast? Yeah, it's it's a really, really good one. And the things I like about it now are different than things that I enjoyed as a child. I mean, as a child, I was just so excited that Starscream was back in the show. And I think I was excited about him being somehow extra powerful through magic, right? Mm -hmm. He can now just jump bodies. And that's like, why would you give that up, right? I naturally wondered, like, is this going to be the new status quo? Is he just going to be like this phantom that just like shows up every once in a while to make Galvatron's life difficult? That's exciting. That's a really interesting idea. But what I love about it now is how patient the writer was with the story, doing mm-hmm. an entire first act where Starscream doesn't figure into it at all. Yeah. They, did, they didn't even do the thing where like we have to t- bring Starscream into the discussion somehow. Galvatron said I was the worst traitor since Starscream. Starscream? Who's Starscream? Oh, yeah. he was... Right? They didn't do that. Yeah. So 
it was it, the the script. I think gives a little credit to the audience that somehow we haven't gotten in the past. Let's go back one episode to Thief in the Night. That whole business in the beginning with Teletran Two, Triptychon did not die forever. What? <laughs> Why'd you put that there? We were like calling that out. Like that was a weird place to put that. You know, it's like we just got to make sure you know that Triptychon's a dude that was in one episode that was a long time ago. You might have missed it. You know, <laughs> none of that. And the fact that you know when we get to Starscream's grave marker it like you pointed out it, it alludes to transformers in the movie but it they don't really put too fine a point on it it's not mm-hmm. important it's just like oh it's it's it, his marker is somehow less respected and revered than the other ones right maybe maybe they did have originally like an entire starscream statue but like it's been vandalized and damaged over the years by people who hated his guts because you know a lot of people hated starscream mm-hmm. so i love that the, all of that is left open and in, in it's not left open in a way where it felt like it was sloppy. It was like, that's unnecessary to this plot. And like you said, we got, this is the thing we always are craving when we show up to this television show is we want to see characters bouncing off of one another. We want to see how their perspectives differ and you don't have to dig too deep. All you got to do is have Prowl show up and say, what's the military approach to this situation, right? Mm-hmm. And then we're like, oh, okay, that's Prowl. I recognize him by the things that he says, you know? And it's the same thing with, like, G.I. Joe. Like, if, sh- if Shipwreck's in it, he's got to make a joke. Polly's going to say something that's annoying, and Shipwreck says, you're annoying, bird. Cool. <laughs> right? And just find different different iterations of that. And, and I think I've said a, a dozen times now, this was never a deep show, but it gets into areas that, get you know, point towards depth. And that's that's something I really like about this series. It's like, it's not asking me for, like, don't show up to cry. This is You're not watching This Is Us, right? <laughs> You're here for just an entertainment, but we'll point towards depth. So the fact that Cyclonus remains consistent. I, I hate sneaking up on people. Octane, mm-hmm. get out of there. I'm not going to shoot until you step out. I know you can't escape. You're going to have to come out eventually, and I will wait here until you come out. But I'm getting a little ticked off that you're just sitting there hiding, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, Cyclonus, why don't you just take three steps and go shoot him? <laughs> what, what are you, a monster? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You know, like we got a sense of who everybody was in this episode. So, and then there's all that like rompy business of them being on the run, them going to like the the weird little truck stop place where the assassin's trying to kill him and the assassin keeps failing and it's super cute. Man, it's just, it's, it does everything well for what we look for in these shows. I guess another thing I I think that is kind of commendable about it is that Oh, and I feel like I'm treading on dangerous waters when I when I say this, is that it's aging up a little bit in that it's counting on us to have some previous knowledge, which I don't usually like in a kid's show. And it's really not doing any kind of moralizing about anything. This is really about like infighting within the villains. The heroes really have not much to do other than, you know, protect the guy who's seeking asylum. Mm-hmm. And the guy who's seeking asylum isn't necessarily a defector. He's just like, protect me because I, I ticked off the people that I used to work with. <laughs> yeah. You know, like Octane's not a very redeemable character, <laughs> but you get the sense that he's a likable character. And that's why Sandstorm is like kind of attracted to him. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's interesting. So like, there's like a little bit more ambiguity in the morality of this episode that we don't often get. There's no part where Rodimus stands up and says like, even the wisest of men and machines can be an error. Hang on to your dreams, Chip. None of that, right? And so it also begins to feel like it's more of a like part of an arc because it ends with Starscream sticking around. They didn't mm-hmm. just get rid of him. So 
Because I feel like even when, spoilers, he shows up in Beast Wars as a character, and they kind of like just get rid of him after that, right? Yeah. The episode ends with him just be like, I'll be back someday. Probably not in this series, but I'll be back someday. <laughs> <laughs> so the fact that it ends in that a- ambiguous note where he's still there and he's doing that creepy laugh, you know, it feels like, oh, this is teeing up some kind of like multi-episode arc without it officially being a multi-episode thing. Mm-hmm. So that's cool too. There's just there's just so much to like. Yeah, you're right. It's just like the only thing that I can point towards to say, like I guess the two things. The one would be is that that the animation makes what could be glorious and memorable moments kind of awkward. And then there's the business with Rodimus, where that feels very rushed and it feels like a little mm-hmm. bit like, well, I guess we just have to infer that there was a conversation there because Rodimus is just like hanging out in Cybertron, waiting for Galvatron to show up, and Galvatron knows it. Yeah. So, like, what information did Octane disclose in the torture <laughs> scene? Is that, well, Rodimus always goes and hangs out in this big open area on Cybertron at 3 o'clock on Tuesdays. And <laughs> usually he's by himself. He likes to get away from Ultra Magnus because Ultra Magnus is such a nag. So he's like, <laughs> like, that's his quiet time. Everybody leaves him alone. So if you want to kill him, that's the time to do it. You know? So... Yeah, and then and a thing I didn't mention when we were doing, actually going back and doing the play-by-play with the clips is that I remember it striking me that Galvatron calls Rodimus Prime mm-hmm. at one point. He says, had enough Prime. And I'm like, oh, that's right. He's the Prime now. And this is before we actually called them the Prime. This is before we recognized Prime as like a military designation in Cybertronian history. So it was. it felt more permanent. Oh, he is Prime now, whatever yeah. that means. So... Oh, just I'm pleased to revisit it with a clear head and realize that there's so much to like about it beyond the fact that they brought Starscream back. Because I mm-hmm. was I was genuinely afraid that I was going to go back to this one and be like, yeah, the only thing I loved about it was that Starscream's in it. <laughs> but but yeah, I I can't think of a scene that I didn't like. Uh, yeah. It's it's really solid. It's it's definitely top ten. I'm glad that they did such a good job with such a momentous moment in the series. So, yeah, I mean, it really could have fallen flat. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, just the idea of Starscream's ghost, they could have played it like super hokey and had it be really, really absurd. But yeah, it's pretty much Starscream comes back immediately. He's like, okay, how can I get revenge on Galvatron? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, also one other thing I want to mention is that we've been tracking this in the series is that progressively, like in the very first episode when Megatron says Soundwave, establish a new base of operations, and he goes, Starscream! <laughs> you know, he he doesn't he never says like, oh, Starscream. It's always like he has to shout his name in like some kind of aggressive, menacing tone. <laughs> and I feel like as the series goes on, when Galvatron sees Starscream, he doesn't just go, oh, no, it's Starscream. He's, Starscream! You know? <laughs> And that just keeps going. Because I think when we get to Ghost of the Machine, we'll see more of Starscream. I think when Galvatron sees him again, I think he does do that again. (laughs) And I love this progression of like, you just can't, like Megatron and all derivations thereof cannot just say Starscream. They always have to scream (laughs) Starscream. That's how much he hates him. (laughs) And now it's making me want to go back to watch Transformers Prime to see if Frank Walker's performance of that Megatron does the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah this is this is a good one everybody and it's really worth watching if you don't watch along with these episodes this is one that i would say yeah this like golden lagoon master builders uh roll for it all episodes that like it, it pays to actually watch it 
mm-hmm. even if it is an ACOM episode. They, 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 they actually, you know, they stepped up in a way that they hadn't in other episodes. So it's, it's still, it's, it's not season one, but it's, it's not, it's not unwatchable. Right. But, uh, the story does definitely help a lot. This is wow. I do want to send a note to McGean and just say thank you for that. You know, and I know it's been 40 years, but <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. It continues to bring me joy. Yeah, even, I mean, ACOM, ACOM's going to ACOM, but they did a good job establishing that Starscream is a ghost. They mm-hmm. they did the translucency well, like mm-hmm. you said, in that shot of when Octane's mistransformed, even his feet are blurry. Yeah. It's, it's just, that's, that's not an easy thing to convey. Uh-huh. I mean, transparency is sort of your typical way to do it, but it... You know, there's been no ghosts in the show. <laughs> right. So it's like, how do they do that? And they found a way to do it and make it clear that mm-hmm. he is a transparent sort of ghosty being here. He's not solid like everyone else. And and yeah, and I, as I think about that scene, it, it, it does feel really creepy the way he looks and like mm-hmm. when he possesses Cyclonus. And that's another thing to note about this one is that the tone changes. There's like some really, I wouldn't say conflicting, but like they're, they're, they're in stark contrast. The tone shifts a lot. It yeah. goes from like rompy buddy movie to spooky movie to traditional transformers fight episode. Mm-hmm. And I guess that would be my, my final criticism is you're right. The, the, the battle between Rodimus and Galvatron is it's tough to watch. It's, Man, you compare that to Fire in the Sky, that really imaginative, lovely fight between Optimus and Megatron, and to see Rodimus and Galvatron just sort of like bouncing into one another. It's like, man, because <laughs> like uh, I love Rodimus. I want to see him do amazing things like he did in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> when he's just like, uh, in the not quite line could have been great if he did something amazing. When he said, not yeah. quite. <laughs> <laughs> So, but yeah, it's just, there's very little to dislike about this one. And I, it's so refreshing after this stream of really difficult episodes to get through. So, yeah. And next episode, we have more of the same in a way, same plot essentially, but now we're going to see what two other authors are going to do with it. Hmm. And it's Ghost of the Machine, which is funny that they lead mm. with Starscream's Ghost and then they obscure it with yeah. Ghost of the Machine. <laughs> This one should have been called Ghost of the Machine. And the next one could have been mm-hmm. called Starscream's Ghost. Now there's no spoilers, but oh well. <laughs> yeah, and Ghost of the Machine is season three, episode 17 on Tubi. So you're going to have to go way ahead. And I remember Maybe. as a kid seeing these air on TV and, you know, Starscream's Ghost just ends with Starscream clearly still skulking around. And it, it was like a long time before we got back to this story because huh. they aired in such weird, a weird order. Wow. Oh, well, I'm excited. I, I, I honestly do not remember much about Ghost of the Machine. I, if, if, I think and I'll do that guess again like I did wrong about the one with Razorclaw and Springer riding around together. <laughs> I think this is the one when Starscream makes a deal with Unicron. Am yep. I right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So now Starscream, being desperate, goes to the Decepticon devil himself, (laughs) or the Transformers devil himself, I should say. And yeah, there's always a price to pay when you do that. Oh, man, I'm excited. Okay, 
Well, if you want Starscream to invade the body of one of your friends for fun <laughs> and profit, <laughs> a great way you could do that is by writing a few nice things about this podcast wherever you hang out with other people. You know, you could tell somebody that you work with, hey, listen to this podcast it's about Transformers. It's got some really in-depth story analysis and fun discussion about this series that we all love so much. Or you could write those words onto one of the various medias that people use. You know, you could go post that TikTok of you shimmying and shaking saying, four million years later dot com is the podcast that I love. <laughs> Am I dating myself when I say that? <laughs> Possibly. Um, <laughs> but we appreciate everybody who does help spread the word about this thing. It means a lot to us that, you know, you not only subscribe and listen, but then, you know, you put your reputation on the line by saying that you like this thing in front of other people on purpose. So thank you for that. <laughs> Is there anything else they could do on purpose to support this endeavor, Hoover? You can on purpose fire up your web browser and go to our T public shop at tpublic.com slash user slash four million years later and look at our t shirt designs and and you could even be possessed by one of them and be possessed to purchase it and wear it. We got oh. stickers, we got baby onesies, we got tapestries you could hang on the wall. Whatever you want almost. Oh man. And thanks to everybody who does purchase items there and becomes a walking billboard for our podcast. People go like, what, what does that foo on this jive shirt mean? Oh, have I not told you about 4millionyearslater.com? <laughs> have you not been told the good word about 4 million years later? <laughs> and, and one of the hosts' unreasonable love for Raul? <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay, well... Thank you, whoever, for this fun discussion. I'm glad we got to dig in deep on this one after all these years. And we drop this show on Thursdays at 4millionyearslater.com and in podcatchers everywhere. Until next time, I have been Jersey Droz to 4millionyearslater.com and rss.jdroz.com for everything that I make. And I've been Hoover. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Episode synopses are from imdb.com and some episode information taken from tfwiki.net. The closing theme is by Nick Mahalik, based on the original closing theme by Ford Kinder and Ann Bryant. You can find more of Nick's music at soundcloud.com slash nicholas-mahalik. That's spelled N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S dash M-E-H-A-L-I-C-K. Find us on Facebook under 4 million years later and you can email us at 4 million years later at gmail.com visit 4 million years later.com and if you haven't yet please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts you know how it works <laughs>